0: We continue in Mark 3, 20 to 35. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him. Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and. And sister, and mother. Thank you, David. Well, good morning.
1: I had the joy last night of uh, attending the Young Life banquet that's put on every year, and I, I love, I love being part of that. I love the Young Life ministry. It's a ministry that uh, touches uh, young people's lives all over this community, all over the world, really. And uh, the thing about Young Life is it's just crazy. And it's not only crazy for the people who are part of it, but everybody who watches it goes, this is just crazy. And they, they get involved in all kinds of things that are, are messy and, and fun and wonderful. They were talking last night about, about an event where they, they had kids dive into a uh, vat of uh, just kind of soggy noodles uh, where you would bob for At The bottom of the, of the vat was a fortune cookie, uh, that was in its wrapper still and you had to bob into the noodles and get that fortune cookie and then you pass the fortune cookie down the line and and you got pasta all over your face and then you got to read the fortune cookie and and uh, eat the pasta and you know then you have a winner. It's just crazy. And it's messy and, and, and unbelievable. And kids love it. And what happens is they just continue to, to do these things with kids coming along their side and, and the joy of last night was... You hear about all this craziness, and uh, at the same time, what's happening is, is Young Life leaders, as they allow Christ to live through them, are drawing kids uh, and, and letting them see who Jesus Christ is. And so there's story after story last night of these students that were being loved up by these Young Life leaders that many call Jesus freaks, And they were uh, sharing about how they had come to know the love of Jesus Christ and become followers of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God has arrived. And the kingdom of God, through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is impacting lives. And people are being saved and coming to know the love of Christ. What's happening in young life and what's happening in our community and around the world is that grace is pounding into the hearts of men and women, and grace is pouring all over them, and they don't know what to do with it, and they finally surrender their lives unto Christ. In his new book, uh, *The Case for Grace*, which I highly recommend uh, by Lee Strobel, it's not in the library yet, so just wait a week. But here's here's it's, it's all these stories of transformed lives, uh, and here's here's what it says about grace: Grace is wild. Grace unsettles everything. Grace overflows the banks. Grace messes up your hair. Grace is not tame. Unless we are making the devout nervous, we are not preaching grace as we ought to, Doug Wilson claimed. Unless the devout are being unnerved. That's what Jesus was doing in Galilee. The devout... The Pharisees and the scribes were being unnerved. Grace was being poured out. The, the kingdom was being established. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says in Mark 1.15. And it doesn't look anything like you thought it would look. I have authority over demons. I'm the one who forgives sins. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I've come for the sick. I've come for those who recognize their need for a savior. And I am inviting people into my kingdom that you sh- you think should not be part of it. But you're wrong. I love the tax gatherers, Jesus says. I-, I love the prostitutes. I love those who are covered with tattoos and earrings and those who are struggling with addiction. I love those who are broken. I love those who are beggarly in spirit. And I'm going to establish my kingdom. Not by some big flash of lightning as a... Powerful king who will ride out and cut off the heads of the Romans so that we have victory. It's not about national freedom. It's a battle for your soul. It's freedom from sin and death. It's an offer to you, an invitation into this life of Christ. Jesus says, I'm not going to establish this kingdom by gathering the masses for a revolution, but by calling 12 ragamuffins to be my disciples. I'm going to empower them through the Holy Spirit to go out to all the nation and make disciples. They'll preach the gospel. They'll preach the good news that Christ has come, the anointed one. He's come to forgive your sin. He's come to offer you new life. He is going to be on the cross and die for your sin. And He rose again. And the good news is that whoever would believe upon him shall be saved. This is how I will build my kingdom, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like all these young life leaders out there in the community. Life on life, small boat ministry like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Investing one student at a time, even though people think we're Jesus freaks. It's inviting them into that family. And that's what Jesus is doing. Revealing the gospel, revealing who he is, and inviting people into his family. Let's pray. Father, I I pray this morning for us. I pray that we don't miss the big picture. The big picture that grace abounds. Lord, this passage this morning has some verses that are troubling to us. Uh, They're hard to understand. Sometimes they leave us in fear but I I pray that we won't miss that you're inviting all of us into your family and that you've provided a way that we can be part of your family and that your goal is that we would have life in you. So, Father, pour that out to your spirit this morning. Touch our hearts in such a way that, that we know that you love us and that you want us to be part of your family. In your precious name, amen. Well, Jesus has been up all night praying. Luke 6 tells us that in the other Gospels. And he goes and prepares for uh, choosing the disciples. So he's talking to the Heavenly Father about the disciples. And he chooses the 12 and he invites them to join him to be part of his family, just like he invites you and me. And what happens in the middle of all that, the scribes and the Pharisees are hating everything that Jesus is doing, they hate everything that he's saying. Uh, it it goes against everything that they hold as sacred. They start to realize that if these things are true about how Jesus is establishing the kingdom of God, in all honesty, they're out of a job. They're, They're the religious leaders who have set this way of the way religion should look like. Jesus is totally contrary to that. And so they're going to be out of a job real quick. Jesus is making claims that He is God by calling Himself Lord of the Sabbath, by forgiving sins, and they want to kill Him. Attack is coming from all angles. Part of the first attack we're going to see actually is from His family, which is really interesting. Jesus, if you remember, is rock star status at this time. He's got thousands and thousands who are following Him. They want to touch Him. They want to be healed physically by Him. There's many who just want to know Jesus and meet Him. Know the person of Jesus. And so they're there, following him. There's so much uh, around him, and there's so much pressing upon him that they are unable to eat the scriptures. Say. They can't even grab a bite to get some nourishment. It's craziness. Can you, can you picture the scene? You've got all these demon-possessed people. You know, in today's culture, we'd kind of call those the crazy people. They're just acting wild. There's crazy people all around. There's those who are are incredibly sick. And then you got Jesus who's proclaiming all these things about the kingdom of God. The whole scene is crazy. And so Jesus receives attack from all angles and from his family. It says that his family, his friends, came to take charge of him physically to take him away. Oh, we're going to lay hands on you, Jesus. All right. I mean, we're going to strong-arm you and pull you out of this madness. They they were saying Jesus is literally beside himself. He's outside of himself. Why do you think his family arrived at this place where they were calling Jesus crazy? How did they arrive here? Well, obviously part of it is he's saying in his statements that he is God. Some of it may just be practical. You ever get people tell you this when you, when you, you step out of a good job? Jesus had a pretty good construction gig going on. He stepped out of that. What are you doing, Jesus? You, you have work. You have provision. Now you're just off preaching these radical things. You got, no, you, know, you got no money coming in. It's crazy. What is it about you? What are you doing? You have this massive following and you're starting to make all these statements. Maybe he started to get, in their minds, a big head. And so they're trying to pull him out. Kind of quiet him down a little bit. I think, there's, I think there's some actual care for Jesus, especially from his mother. The reality is there's people who are out to kill Jesus, right? They're plotting to murder him. And here's one of the biggest things, especially for mom, is he has not eaten anything. That's not okay for Mary. Mothers can't handle this. Let me prepare you some matzah or something. And so they're trying to pull him out. The brothers and the friends from the community try to grab hold of him. And you can imagine them working their way through the masses and all these crazy people around. And you can almost hear them whispering, what a bunch of Jesus freaks. By association with Jesus, people think we are strange, don't they? You know, I love love flying on airplanes and I love getting into conversations with people who are sitting next to me. I love it. And and usually, you know, it'll start off like this, and here's something that I've been seeing more recently than I had in the past, but you'll start to see, this, you'll start to engage in this wonderful conversation, and getting to know about each other's lives, and the children, and, and what they're doing, and, and, and then all of a sudden they ask you, well, well, what is it that you do? I'm like, well, I'm a pastor, and I teach the Bible, and I teach about Jesus, and, and I try to remind people of how much God loves us, and... And all of a sudden, I get this face. It's just this weird look at me. And then here's what's been kind of happening lately. Oh, you're a pastor? Oh, that's interesting. Let me get back to my book. And then they start to read their book. Or, you know, more so, they put in their earbuds. And I'm shut out. I'm a little strange all of a sudden. What was it like for you when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I had one friend who told me, that his dad said, well, you'll get over it, like it's some cold that you have. Someone got stronger, stay away from that cult. Some kept saying, it's stupid, we make our own destiny, we're born, we die, we don't have a need for this crazy stuff. Some literally were called Jesus freaks. The great poet Toby Mack from DC Talk says this, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? Separated, I cut myself clean from a past that comes back in my darkest of dreams, been apprehended by a spiritual force and a grace that replaced all the me I've divorced. What will people think when they hear I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There ain't no disguising the truth. The truth is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are Jesus freaks. We are madly in love with Christ and we're sold out for Him. Don't let people ever push you away from your following of Christ. Don't let people strip you of that identity in Him just because they're calling you names. D.L. Moody, the great Bible teacher, said he was crazy in Acts 26, Paul's called mad. Martin Luther was called crazy. John Wesley was called crazy. If serving Jesus is madness, then we need more sanctified insanity in our culture. Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And if I need to be labeled as a Jesus freak about that, I will. And I'm going to share, and I'm going to invite people to be part of this family of Jesus freaks. Because like we learned last night, there's all these hungry students longing for life. And God came to offer them that. And to invite them into His family. Josh McDowell says, Jesus is either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And now we're going to see Jesus enter into an argument with the scribes. His family's called him a lunatic. The scribes say he's not only a lunatic, but he's a liar, a blasphemer. And so let's look at how this lying lunatic reveals that he is Lord. He enters into a debate with the reasoning ones, with the smart ones, the scribes, but he enters in as a college professor who holds several PhDs. Usually lunatics have a hard time presenting a logical argument. But Jesus does so with incredible clarity. You're saying that I'm possessed by Beelzebub. You're saying that I'm the one who's casting out these demons by the power of Satan. Well, that's foolishness. They're saying he's Lord of the underworld, basically Lord of the flies or Lord of the dung heap. He's the the most powerful spirit that is in control over these demons. Basically, he's Satan. By the power of Satan, he is casting out the enemy, the demons. Man, that's a strong statement. Can you imagine Jesus at that moment? I mean, can you imagine personally? You're Satan. You're the devil. You're everything that's evil. They're saying that about Jesus. And Jesus responds with brilliant logic. How can Satan cast out Satan? You see, Satan's whole purpose is for destruction, the destruction of humanity. Satan's whole purpose is is for the destruction of the kingdom of God. That's why he's around. He hates humanity, he hates God, and he will do anything he can to destroy it. Why would Satan cast out himself? He would never do anything to diminish his own army. That would just be stupid. It makes no sense. You see, a house divided will come to an end. It it becomes civil war, is what he's saying. A house divided will come to an end. That not only is true of the camp of the enemy, dear saints, it's true of the house of God. That's why all throughout Scripture, you have Jesus praying, Lord, I pray that they would know unity and experience unity like we do, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I want them to understand that and live in that. Father, preserve the unity of the Spirit in this body of Christ. It's why in Proverbs 6, it says there there are six things the Lord, that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable. You know what that detestable thing is? It's a, it's a brother or sister who causes division in the body of Christ, detestable unto God. And if you're a saint who is causing division in this body, you need to go to the cross and, and say, God, forgive me. I don't know why I'm drawn to destruction and division, but forgive me. I don't want to live this way anymore. And you need to ask forgiveness of the Lord. And you need to ask forgiveness of your brother or sister that you are causing division in this body of Christ. He hates it. The enemy won't do that to himself because he'll destroy his house. You see, the, bi- the strong man has to be bound. In order for all this to happen, the strong man, Satan, has to be bound. So, it, it, if, I'm, if I'm Satan and I'm casting all these demons out, That's just not going to happen. In order for these to be cast out, the strong man has to be bound. But here's what's happening, right? Demons are being cast out. Aren't they? They're cast out in the synagogue. They're cast out right here. Jesus is casting out demons all over the place. So here's the argument. Hey guys, scribes who are calling me Satan, you're seeing very clearly that, that the demons are being cast out. But it's not by the authority of Satan by Bilzibel. It's by another authority. And basically, what he's saying, it's by the power of God. You see, the strong man has been bound. That's the only way you get to have authority and, and destroy that enemy. The strong man has been bound. The strong man has been bound right here, presently, scribes in your presence. And I think it's a foreshadowing of the cross. On the cross and in Christ's resurrection, Satan has been bound. And it's a, it's a further prophecy to revelation where the enemy has been bound and destroyed and thrown in the lake of fire. You see, Christ has victory over Satan. That's good news. For those of you who don't know Christ and have had the burden and the weight and the oppression and the shackles of the enemy that have been holding you back and continue to have a hot, hold you hostage into addictions and to, into destructive life, what I'm telling you this morning and what Jesus is saying is He has victory over that. And He will free you from the shackles of Satan and of sin. He will free you from that. And He will give you new life. That's the promise of Christ. That's His authority established. That's His kingdom has arrived. Don't stay bound, shackled to your sin and the enemy who's continually being oppressive upon you. Christ has victory over that. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. The cross and His love and His blood have covered that and broken those chains. Join this family of Jesus freaks and experience freedom at last. Jesus came to deal with the flesh. He came to deal with the devil. He came to deal with our sin. Look what Jesus says about sin in verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the child of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Now, if you have a pen and if you have your Bible, I want you to underline all. All sins will be forgiven you. This is Jesus saying this. This is God of the universe who spoke forth everything. All sins will be forgiven. You. All. You cannot out-sin grace, is what he's saying. All sins will be forgiven you. You think there's something that you've done that will keep you away from Jesus? He's saying the cross will take care of all that. And as we know, the cross has taken care of of all of that. You cannot out-sin grace. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you who were dead, Colossians says, in your trespasses, God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, all of our sins, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Satan, you're nothing. You have no authority anymore. And he put them to shame, triumphing over them. Please don't allow any sin, some wicked deed, stand between you and heaven. You cannot out grace. Regardless of what you've done, he will forgive you. And the bigger truth is, he will not turn you away. He invites you into his family. Will you join this family? Even though we look crazy sometimes. But we're a family that lives in the freedom of Christ. All sins and all blasphemy is these speakings against God. Speaking the name of God. You know, I was thinking about Paul... (laughs) He forgives all sins, all blasphemies, those things that we utter against Jesus or God. You don't think that Paul said a bunch of stuff about Jesus when he was Saul? I mean, think about it. He's he's on the, the hunt for Christians so he can murder them. You don't think that Paul said a bunch of stuff about Jesus that we can't really repeat in this room? And then Jesus got a hold of him on the road to Damascus and he ripped open his heart and he poured out his grace upon him and Paul was never the same I don't want you to miss the grace in the middle of this passage okay because now we're going to get to a hard verse but the big picture is grace abounds the big picture is that Jesus is inviting you to join his family the other story is that we get to make the choice if we're going to join that family And he deals with that. He deals with that in this passage. All sins, all blasphemies, but, verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So this is the unforgivable sin, the sin that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, what what is blasphemy? I think that's the first thing we need to ask. It's to speak reproachfully, to rail at, to revile, to speak against, or to speak evil of, against. And it seems in this context, here come the scribes, and they are saying, you are Satan, you're casting out the demons with the spirit of Satan, bilzabal And so it looks like blasphemy of the Spirit is attributing the works of Jesus to Satan, in this context, right, as we read it. It looks like blasphemy of the Spirit is attributing the works of Jesus to Satan. And you know what? I think part of that is is true. But I don't think that's the whole picture. Part of it's true because I think it reveals some of the heart of these scribes, their view of Jesus, their attitude towards him. But as they attributed the works of Jesus to Satan, does that mean that that is the unforgivable sin? Does Jesus say to these scribes, scribes, because you just said that, you are going to hell. You are unforgiven. Does he say that? He doesn't. So I don't think it's just uttering these words or or coming to this place of going, this is is the work of Satan, Jesus. Because he, he doesn't say to those scribes right there, well, you're done. You just uttered those words. You're finished. Straight to the pit. He doesn't speak that. But he gives them a strong warning of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So blasphemy, speaking against, reviling, the Holy Spirit. Well, what was the ministry of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, John 16. But the bigger ministry of the Holy Spirit, John 15 speaks of, the the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he will testify about me. He will testify about Jesus. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All the work of the Holy Spirit is designed to exalt, to declare, to define the work of Jesus. So to reject the work of the Holy Spirit, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, is to reject the Spirit's witness of Jesus Christ. It's to reject the witness of the Spirit about Jesus Christ. And so he gives us powerful sobering warning to the scribes and to us. Scribes, you're very close to a place in which your continued rejection of Jesus, which continues to harden your heart, you're becoming so dark that you're even attributing the works of God to the enemy. Your heart is becoming so closed that you'll never receive the testimony of the Holy Spirit if you keep going down this path. It's a sobering warning. It's saying, it's not just getting angry with God, but a continual rejection that ultimately leads to a final rejection that says, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse to believe in the testimony of the Holy Spirit. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it means I will not receive salvation from Jesus Christ. And that choice breaks God's heart. But He is a holy God, and He has said through His Son, No man comes unto the Father but by Me. There is no other name by which man shall be saved. But it breaks His heart because His heart desires that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of truth and come into the family of God. Well, sometimes we live in fear of this verse, don't we? And I want you to hear me very clearly. I don't think this verse is talking about people who are followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? I don't believe this verse is speaking to those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I believe it's those who continue to reject the truth about who Jesus is. And it's Jesus' strong warning. Why? Because he longs, even for the scribes and the Pharisees who are his enemies, he longs for them to come into relationship and even them to enter this family of Jesus freaks. So I don't want you to continue to live in fear. Have I committed this sin? That's the enemy whispering lies to you, I believe. Big picture of this whole passage is that Jesus is calling you into his family. That grace abounds. That Jesus has authority over sin and death. That Jesus offers you life in him. It's an unrepentant heart that never receives the gift of salvation from our Lord. It's the hard soil that the seed can never penetrate. Ironside said these words were never intended to torment anxious souls, honestly desiring to know Christ. But they stand as a blazing beacon of warning of the danger of persisting in the rejection of the Spirit's testimony of Christ until the seared conscience no longer Responds to the gospel message. And that breaks the heart of God. Because he wants us in his family. And so for the unbeliever, will you heed the warning of Jesus? Will you stop rejecting him and receive his grace and enter into his family? Be freed from sin and death. This last little part of chapter 3 speaks about his family that he wants us to be part of. And he turns again everything upside down. You see, the kingdom of God is at hand. And your idea of family is totally different from my idea of family, Jesus is saying. Your family's come to get you. Well, who's my family? Who's my mother, my brother, my sister? Who's my family? My family is the ones who, who receive me and do the will of God. That's my real family. That's identity. You see, in the culture, your whole identity was your family, wasn't it? Especially your father. And now Jesus is saying, no, no, your true identity is in me. How dare you? You're changing things upside down. This isn't the way it is. No, your true identity is in me. This is the real family of God. And I invite you in to be part of my family and to receive me as your Lord and Savior. And I invite you in to have life. And I know we look like a bunch of Jesus freaks, but come into this family and be freed from sin and death and receive the life of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your grace that abounds. I thank you for your love that pours out upon us and has offered us life in you. Father, forgive us for kicking against you, for rejecting you, for turning away from you. And I pray for those in this room this morning that do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray this morning, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you open their hearts to your love. And if you're in that place where you don't know Jesus, just say, yes, I believe Forgive me for my sin. I want to be part of your family. Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for washing my sin from me, for forgiving me the mess of my life, and for accepting me, a broken beggar. I receive you, Jesus.
0: I say yes to you. Amen.